Evening. It's good. I love that song. So fitting, too, leading into uh, kind of a discussion about marriage and not just our marriage with the Lord, but our marriage uh, as husbands and wives. How many are uh, married in here today? You're, how, how many husbands do we have here today? Raise your hand. If you're a husband, raise, raise it really high. I want to Count them all and count them all. No, there's a lot of you blessed that you're here. If you're a a husband here, I I want you to repeat these words with me very slowly, okay? Um, Happy, wife, (laughs) no, no, hey, 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 wasn't there yet. Happy, wife. Happy life. Now you can say it together. Say, all of us, happy wife, happy life, okay? Now, how many have that on a coffee cup or someplace? Anybody have that? You've got that in your home? You don't want to admit it, right? But it's okay, because there is a truth in that. And and Peter is going to talk about that. Um, We've been in this this series in, in 1 Peter. I titled the series Hope in the Dark because... The reason Peter wrote uh, his epistle, uh, he wrote it to a church that was living in the first century that was suffering under tremendous persecution. And we've studied that. You know, you saw in chapter two where then Peter is writing about how are we supposed to, you know, get through these dark days? And that's why I titled the series Hope in the Dark. How, how do we get through these moments where life doesn't make sense? And And he talks a lot about submission. And it's not just a wife being submissive to her husband, but it was as a people, obviously, first and foremost, you and I as believers being submissive to God himself. Paul reiterated that as we were studying last week in Ephesians 5, submitting one another in the fear of the Lord long before he ever gets to a wife submitting to her husband. But then he talks about, you know, to be then a good citizen. Uh, We talk about government, that to be a good citizen is to submit to the authorities that God has put in place, whether we like it or not. And again, the only time that we're to practice civil disobedience is one, we have to be willing to suffer the consequence in doing so that we recognize, as I shared with you, as we talked about government and and living in obedience, we've obviously been in that situation, even as a church ourselves, is when being a good Christian, you know, makes me a bad citizen, that's that's when I have, I struggle with then, do I continue trying to be a good citizen if being a good citizen makes me a bad Christian? So again, those are the struggles. I told you I can't answer all the things that you have to do in your life, nor can you answer them in mine. We're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And so we have to be prayerful about those things. But really, it comes down to a willingness. You know, Again, if we're going to practice civil disobedience, we're not doing it in the dark. When we as a church decided, as we sought the Lord, that we were going to open up our church. We didn't do it secretly. Uh, we sent letters to the, the Bakersfield City Police, to the Kern County Sheriff, to the Board of Supervisors, to you know anybody and everybody, the health department, let them know that we were going to be opening up. And we wanted them to understand that because we weren't doing it in defiance of any government or ordinance. We were doing it because God had instructed us to do so. And that's why we started the church. We didn't look to the state when we started the church. We don't look to the state. doesn't mean that we don't follow the laws of our land. They put us in a real precarious situation, like many churches, as to how do we uh, recognize the authority. And so we had to tell them that. Again, it's, we're, we're not going along with this. And then whatever those consequences would have been at that point, then we have to be willing to suffer those things. But that's where faith and conscience comes in. And then he talked about, Peter did, wasn't just submission to government, but then it's submission, you know, in relationship, whether you're an employee to an employer, slaves to their masters. Um, you know, Paul talks about not just, you know, that it's slaves to masters, but it was children to parents. Um, and again, understand this, that there, there was over half the population uh, was slaves during this first century when Peter's writing, you know, this epistle. And so slavery and living in submission was not something that was uncommon the struggle that was uncommon here, and it's why this becomes a point of contention for us today, especially when we talk about in the husband and wife situations with the word submission, is that you had women who were coming to faith. See, because understand this, as I've been sharing with you, you know, 
women had no rights, okay? They were, in the sense, they were possessions. Even within the Jewish culture, remember the, the rabbinical prayer was, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. I mean, they just, they didn't hold women in high esteem. Like I shared with you, it's Jesus Christ who has, has esteemed the value of women and their place in, in this world. Then again, man and woman were created in the very image of God. And so he gives to the woman the highest of value. And so when Peter talks about, you know, wives submitting to their husband, it was, you're in the middle of a cultural situation here where women were, you know, what do you do with, now you have this freedom and this liberty. You've come to know Jesus as your personal savior and Lord. So now is it time to get in my husband's face? That was kind of the question. I shared with you, you know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. You know, he's talking about women remaining silent in the church. And it was because of the structure of the church. Men and women didn't sit together. And so women were asking their husband questions all the way across, you know, the sanctuary, you might say. And it was becoming disruptive. And so we have to understand, you know, the backstory, the culture behind this. And so now Peter is saying, you know, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And in doing so, you have this great potential to do so much good in winning them, not only to yourself and, and having a, a harmony in a, in a marriage relationship, but winning them to the Lord just by your, your behavior. Because like I said, you can read the book of Proverbs, you know, and Proverbs goes the other way with it. Remember Solomon writes, he says, you know, that it's better to live what? In the corner of a rooftop than in, you know, the house with a contentious or a nagging wife, where he says that a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. It's just, it's an irritant in your, in your life. And so what Peter is, is speaking to here is, is peace and harmony. We find, you know, in, in verse 7, and we're going to read this and then we'll pray. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, like I said, I titled this Happy Wife, Happy Life, because he's now, after six verses, and again, and six verses he dedicates to the woman and only one verse to the man. And you go, why? And you go, well, because there was a greater struggle at, at that point in time. It wasn't that women needed, you know, more teaching or, or correction with regard to this. There was questions that they had. It's like, how do I respond, you know, uh, to my husband who, one, doesn't know the Lord, because there was much of that that was going on, because under the, in the Roman Empire, which is much as just like in Judaism, a wife believed what her husband believed. Uh, they, they, were, they were together in that. And so for her to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus was going to put her in opposition to her husband's belief system, which she could no longer go along with because for the most part, they practiced idolatry. They were polytheistic in that regard. And, and obviously, you know, to be a Christian would become monotheistic. They're, God is one. And so uh, again, these are the struggles that they're facing, which are not necessarily different than the struggles that women face today. The only thing in the truest sense, church, that's changed from the time in AD 64, approximately when this was written, and today is just time and technology. The heart of man and woman hasn't changed one bit. The same struggles that women had in this era are the same struggles that women have today. And so we can relate to this, you know, as we walk through it. So we'll read verse 7 here, and then we're going to back up. Sometimes uh, you ever heard that expression, three steps forward, two steps back? Um, and the reason why is because if you're going to talk about submission from a male perspective, you're going to be talking about leadership or headship. And so in order to be able to address it, we've got to go back and see, you know, what are the things that we need to hold accountable within our family structure? So here in verse 7, it says, Husbands likewise dwell with them, speaking of a wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow, that's one verse. And, and we're going to spend the whole service unpacking one verse, basically. And Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use this time, uh, Lord, to minister to the hearts of everyone, men, women, young, old alike, but that in particular that you would speak to us as, as that are here today as as husbands, uh, Lord, you have a, a call that's just a, an exhortation, but there's a commandment. There's also a warning that comes with this. And so, Lord, we are attentive. Lord, I pray to your word that maybe today it'll, it'll answer why there's, there's so much dysfunction and disunity in our home. And that, Lord, it falls not on the, 
the head of the wife, it falls on the head of the wife, which is the, the husband. And so, Lord, may we recognize the call that you've placed upon our lives, and may we bring glory to you and honor to our homes as we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying, amen? Amen. So, you know, the thing that came to mind for me is uh, I remember, and I've shared this with you, um, my dad was a, was a school administrator. He was, in 1970, he accepted the position at Highland High School to become the, the dean of administration, meaning for the ultimate, he was, he was the caretaker of the school. He was in charge of maintenance and operation. He oversaw the custodial, the grounds, and, and everything with the inner workings uh, with regard to the school. And he had completed his master's degree in education at Cal Poly and, and uh, moved from being a, a coach and an and a, uh, um, English teacher and then became a counselor and kind of moved his way up the ranks. Well, he got in this position. He goes, I don't really know <laughs> now, you know, the things I'm getting into. How, how am I going to manage this school, manage these jobs I've never had? My dad, you know, my dad went to school, you know, and he wasn't a custodian. I mean, he cleaned around the house and stuff, but he didn't really know. It's like, okay, you know, what products do you use to do this? So do you just hire people and just trust them to make the decisions or what things should he know? And so he struggled with this. And I remember listening to him talk about, you know, how, what am I going to do? And so he got this idea that he would go to Fresno. So he contacted the Fresno Union School District and he, and he talked to them. He said, hey, I'm taking this position as a, an administrator. And he said, I, I need to know what the, the custodians do. And he said, but we haven't hired any yet. So could I come to Fresno and work with your maintenance and operation team? So he went up to Fresno and for one week, he worked as a custodian. And he, he did every job that the custodians would do. And, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but I got to understand it later. And, and it's so fitting, and the Lord brought this to my mind this week, thinking about marriage, and me as a husband, and, and you men as husbands, of having leadership in your home, and being responsible. You know, I, I, I've shared this before. It always, you know, as, a, as, as an athlete, I, I, you watch this, and you see, and you'll, you've seen this a lot, it doesn't matter what the sport is, you know, a losing team, they fire the coach, Right. And the coach, he never stepped foot on the field. He's not the one who threw the five interceptions in three games. But he loses his job, right? And people go, why did the coach get fired? And you go, because the coach is responsible for what takes place on the field, right? And so, you know, if they're winning, hey, he's a hero. And if they're losing, he's a zero, okay? And the same thing can happen, you know, you think about in a marriage relationship. We want so much, you know, as men for our wives to submit and God's going, but I want you to lead because whatever goes on in your house, guys, you need to understand this. You and I, as the husband, are ultimately responsible. First Peter 3, 7 tells us we're responsible to God. And there's a command within that text, and there's also a tremendous warning. And so these coaches, you know, they get fired. And, and you go, but it was the quarterback who threw the interception. And you go, but the coach let them on the field. And they're held to a higher accountability. And guess what? In marriage, it's the same thing. So back to my dad. So my dad comes back from Fresno and, you know, he's telling us about it and stuff. It's years later. And I think I'm, I, I'm, I can't recall, I'm either a sophomore or a junior. And my dad, one night, we were just sitting around and he goes, uh, hey, Michael, you want to take a drive with me? And I said, yeah, I'll go with you. So we get in the car and we drive up to the school. My dad, he goes like, detective mode. We get up there, he hits the, the lights and turns them off and we come stealthing up. And I go, dad, what are we doing? He goes, we're sneaking up on the custodians. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I just want to see if they're working. And I go, okay. So we park up there and you have to realize Highland's way out in the middle of nowhere. So we get out and we're like, you know, and we get down there and we go in there and they're playing cards. They're, they're not working. They're sitting around a table. They're... My dad walks in and my dad you know, I mean, <laughs> my, my dad just walks in the room and if you, you'd had to know my dad, but, uh, he walks in the room and I mean, they just come flying out of there. It was like, it was a come to Jesus moment, you know, for them. They were looking at my dad and I'm Mr. Ostheimer and I'm laughing because I, I can tell they're scared to death. And, and, and the same thing would be really true. My, my bark is way much worse than my bite, but they were scared to death of my dad. They thought, oh, 
they're going to get fired. And my dad's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, oh, Mr. Russell, we're just taking our break. And okay, no problem. Go back to your break. Oh, no, we're okay. We don't, need, we don't need a break. Go back to work. So they get out there. So then when we leave, I go, Dad, so what was that all about? And he said, honey, he said, remember when I, I took this job? I didn't know anything about what anybody did. And he goes, so I went up there to Fresno, and I learned. He goes, I know exactly how long it takes him to clean these buildings. I know how long it takes to clean a toilet. I know how long it takes to load you know, a soap dispenser. I know how long it takes to put paper towels in the holder. I know how long it takes to vacuum a room. I know how long it takes to, to clean the windows. And he goes, they don't think I know that. And he goes, so every time that I call him in, I go, hey, overtime is like way too much. And they go, oh, Ms. Rostheimer, you know. And then he goes, and then I tell him, I go, hey, I've done that. When? And he goes, I worked for a whole week up in Fresno, and I wrote down all the, and he did his own notes. It wasn't like he took it from them. He wanted it, and he goes, so his thing was, I'm not very good at this, okay? But I'm going to do the best job I can, and if I can do it in this time, and you, <laughs> you can't do it in that time, he goes, I need a new custodian. <laughs> That's what he was, he was basically telling him. My point in sharing that with you is, my dad understood exactly what was happening under his watch. Nothing was going to surprise him. Nothing, you know, because he recognized as the dean of administration for that school, he was responsible for those things. He didn't take it lightly. And my hope and, you know, in hopefully getting men, your, your thought process, you know, to be moving in this direction is that you'd recognize, yes, the scriptures talk about our wives being submissive, but here he flips it. And it's no longer about your wife being submissive to you. It's about what quality or kind of leader are you in your home? And if you're not leading, there's an old expression, uh, John Maxwell is a great leadership kind of guru within Christianity. He said, if you think you're leading and nobody's following, you're out for a walk. <laughs> it's such a simple thing. You know, if you look back and your wife's not following you, you go, hey, uh, we've, we've, got some, we've got some issues here. So, you know, again, when you think about happy happy wife, happy life, you know, we have to go backwards. I want you as men, not just to focus on verse seven, we've got to actually go back and look at, at verses one through six. And we'll do this really quickly here, but I want you to think about this with me uh, again in two words, Peter describes what you know, think about uh, a wife. If she's really going to be happy in her relationship and marriage, she has, there's duty. And then he talks about beauty, duty, and beauty. That's what we see in those first six verses. In verse one, it says, wives, it says, remember, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. We read this last week, that even if some do not obey the word, and that was the word of the Lord, they without a word, but that's your spoken word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So Peter is telling the wife, your responsibility is to be submissive to your own husband. Now, women, you can, no matter how many passages, how many translations that you read, this is always going to come up. Be submissive to your own husband. If you read this, the King James Version, it says, be in subjection. The Phillips Version, it says, adapt yourself to your husbands. The New English Bible puts it like this, accept the authority of your husband. So all of them, no matter how you interpret it, they all interpret it the exact same way in the Greek language. It means what? To stand under. It was a military term. It means to align yourself under, take the position under the leadership of your husband. And this doesn't give men the right to be a tyrant. It's not at all. Scripture actually teaches the very opposite. We studied that you know, last week in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, your wife, as Christ loved the church. Wow, that's called what? Sacrificial loving. And again, one of the things that we have to understand here, you know, that she's doing this, as Paul would say, as a doulos, you're, you're submitting willfully. Not, you're not being forced to do that. This is something that you're doing in love. You're going, I, I, it's like I shared with you, I can't lead you if you won't follow. The greatest gift isn't the, so much the gift of leadership. It's the gift that you give to leadership that says, I will follow you, that I will live in submission to you. And that's what a wife can do. To abide by, you could say, her husband's final decision. 
in matters concerning your family and your home. Now, we have any baseball fans here? I won't ask you what team you like. I'll just say, leave it at that. Baseball fans. So you could say this with regard to marriage between a husband and a wife, tie goes to the husband. Tie goes to the husband. So when you come to a place when a husband and a wife can't agree, you go, man, we disagree on this. We go, what do we do when we hit that type of spot in our marriage relationship? The Bible answers it. The wife, not the husband, the wife is called to submit. The tie goes to the husband. Does it, is that sometimes? Is that when it feels right and you go, no, that is all the time. And again, you go, why? Why is submission so important to a wife in a marriage relationship? You go, why, why make this such a big deal? And you go, because the Bible does. Because submission is nothing more than a gauge of your personal relationship with God. Because you, again, when you think about submission from a woman's perspective, Paul puts it this way. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to what? The Lord. In the same degree that you will submit yourself to your husband is a reflection to the degree of which you are submitting yourself unto God. Because it wasn't your husband who's calling you in the truest sense to submit to his leadership. It's God himself. And, and I know that, you know, like I said, the struggle came in verse one there. You look at that where he says, likewise, remember the word therefore, when we said everything that you see when you see the word therefore is whatever happened before. Is that therefore, that's the uh, summation you might say of all those things. When you see the word likewise, it indicates that there's an example that's already been given and the women are to conform to that example. And you go, and what's the example that they're to conform to? Peter goes right back and he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For this you, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. So you're doing it to follow an example that was given to you by who? By Jesus. You're following his lead says that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who then when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So you go, was it easy for Jesus when he walked on this earth to submit to the authority of this earth? Those that were in authority, you go, no. You go, we see in the, in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, what happened? He was perspiring blood drops, right? the blood capillaries in his face broke. He said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from my lips, but not my will, but thine be done. But it was, it was tremendously painful. It hurt. The, I mean, the beating that he took, but it, Hebrews 12, as we read this last week, says what? That says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised its shame. And it says, and he sat down at the right hand of the father. He completed the work and he did it with joy. Did it hurt? You go, absolutely. Now, most women that are here that have, that have born children can tell you that same thing. For the joy that was before him, there was pain in bringing forth children. But the elation to be able to hold that baby in your arms, it's that same kind of joy. And so Peter, you know, is, is making sure that, that as women, you understand this. Men, we need to understand what our wives are up against here when it comes to submission. And again, so Peter is, lays this out and he says, you know, that you can win them without a word. And, and again, and he's not saying that, you know, again, that you can't talk to them. He was talking about, remember that women were coming to faith before their husbands. That's what he's alluding to here. And how do you win your husband to the Lord? Is it because you're just going to pound him with truth and you're just going to nag at him? Because that's the word that you want to hold on to is the word nag, because that's what he's referencing here when he talks about not speaking a word. He's not saying that for the rest of your life, you just go around like this. Honey, is dinner? That and get it yourself. You know, you go, you go, no, it doesn't, it doesn't say don't communicate. He's in the literal sense, he's talking about do not nag your husband. So what is nagging? So we'll understand this, men, women, both alike. Nagging is the subtle evasion on the part of the wife 
of, <laughs> on the part of the wife of her responsibility to submit to her husband. It's the subtle evasion on the part of the wife of her responsibility to submit to her husband. So again, it's a subtle, it's a subtlety. You know, again, this nagging. And, and understand, you have to understand where this stems from because you have to go all the way back because we studied last week in Genesis 3.16. Remember, the curse of, of, on, on woman was what? It says, and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Like I said, there was the birth in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the birth of both feminism and chauvinism right then and there. And so you go, you know, what's going to happen? He go, well, you're going to struggle because we're, we were born into a fallen state, into a fallen world. Am I just going to naturally trust you? No. Am I going to actually believe the best that, you know, you're going to be able to handle everything? No, it's not going to happen that way. That only happens as, as the Holy Spirit comes into our life and the fruit of God's Spirit begins to be developed in us. Because nagging you know, is that, and you think about this, going back to Proverbs, you know, the, the, you can picture this, you know, Solomon is going, it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop than in the house with a nagging woman. Or nagging woman is like a dripping faucet that just, you're laying in bed and you just, all it is is a drip, right? You go, just, you can't sleep and it frustrates you. Well, there's going to be two things that happen with this. Nagging. Nagging does one of two things in men. It'll either cause you as a man for your heart to become hardened and you'll become a harsh dictator or your heart will become weak, soft. Not, not tender, but weak and soft. And meaning that you just give in to keep the peace. And I talk to guys all the time and they're going, it's either one side of the coin or the other that you're going, you know, she nags at you. And so you just lay the law down. There's no discussion because you don't respect her any longer because she's challenging your authority. Or you go the other way with it. You go, I'm just tired of fighting her. So I just let her have her way, which we're seeing much in our, in our country today. They're, they're both equally you know, destructive to the marriage relationship. But you have to understand, if a husband, his reaction, you know, is one of, of stubbornness because, again, of the nagging, you, you've got to see really what happens is because it's a challenge to men of their masculinity. And we're seeing a, a demasculation, you know, of, towards men, you know, for men not to be men and for men not to, to be the leaders in their home and to just give that up. And, and the Bible goes the very opposite direction with it, is that men are called of God to lead and to do it in a loving way. You know, I can tell you what happens. Like I said, I, I try to be transparent with you in, the, in these moments. And I know for me, when, when you think about what Peter's writing here, men, I want you to understand this. Wives already get it. He said, Peter said, you can win your husband without even speaking a word. That's a challenge. But you can. But when you nag, and that's what he's talking about here, when you nag, your husband's going to respond one way or the other. I can tell you, for me, I am not passive. I, I'm not weak. I don't go, I'm just going to keep the peace. Nope. I become stubborn. I become obstinate. I become harsh. It, it hardens my heart. I, I, I shared with you, you know, it's, it's a funny story now. It wasn't funny then. You ever, ever been through something that's really hard and then you get through it and you look back and it's kind of funny? Well, we had a situation years ago in my marriage, my wife, it was Christmas time and I wanted, I knew she liked Christmas lights. She'd been talking about Christmas lights for years. So I thought I'd just surprise her one Saturday morning. I went and I, I got Christmas lights and I put them up while she was gone. And I was like a kid in a candy store. I, I was waiting for her to get home and I was standing in the curtains in the side of our living room and I was looking out the curtains. I, she told me she'd be back at this time. And so I was standing there. And I see the, I see our van coming up the, the, the street and we, we live in the, the east side of town, we live up on a hill. And uh, so she comes up and she drives up in the driveway. She can't, you can't miss the lights. She looks at the lights and she gets out. And so I walk out, you know, I'm waiting for the attaboy, you know, like, and uh, she looks and she goes, uh, there's gaps. Like, I didn't know what she was talking about. 
There was no gaps. And she goes, I said, what? And she goes, there's gaps. And the gap was, if you've ever put Christmas lights up, when you put two together, there's a gap between the one that lit and then now the 18 inches and 18 more inches, then it starts again, right? I didn't make the lights. The company did. I just plugged them in. But it was right over the front door. I mean, it was right at the front door because that's where the plug was. So she goes, there's gaps. But then she topped it. So you talk about, she said, my dad wouldn't have done it like that. So she walks in the house. So, so now you could think, oh, Lee, you know, no, it was, it was fine in what she said. My response is what I want to focus in on. My response. And, you know, again, because we're all responsible. I'm responsible for what happens in my home. Even if I don't like the way that she says something to me, because you think about it, is I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for me, okay? My response was this. She goes in the house, so I walk out, and I look at it. If you could just imagine if this was the this was the light. I grabbed the light, and I just went, don't like this. And you could hear the little staples coming undone. Da, 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 da. And I just went around, and I was getting cut, because I just rounded up. I just wound it all up my arms, stuffed it back in the box. Going, I went in the garage, put it in there, and I walked back in the house, and I said, no gaps, like that. She came outside and looked and there was no lights. There was no gaps. There was no lights. And she didn't say a word. She never said a word. I figured that fixed the problem. You know, and I never put them back up as long as we lived in that house. When we moved into the next house, you know, since the mercies of God in my life are new every seven years, uh, you know, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it again. You know, I'm going to try it again. So this time, I'm, you know what? See if her dad can put them up better than this. I, no, seriously, I stapled these lights on both sides of the light. I made that, they were so perfectly straight that I had a guy, seriously, my wife will tell you, my, a guy stopped and he said, uh, sir, are you the, uh, the owner of the home or you've been hired uh, to play, put the lights up? And I go, both, like that. And, uh, and uh, he goes, I noticed these, your lights are perfect. He goes, could I hire you to, and I was like, <laughs> so I go in the house and my wife's in the kitchen. I said, Lee, I go, guess what? I go, this guy, he stopped. He said, the lights like were perfect on our house. And he wants to know if he can hire me. And she goes, oh, honey, let's take the job. And I was like, oh, oh no, oh, no, no. I'm like Charlie Brown here. You'll pull the ball up. Oh, no, we'll have gaps if we go do somebody's house. Let's just know that our house, we ain't got no gaps no more, you know, and this. But it was one of those things. So it became really funny in, in, our, in our life. And I mean, to the point when people would come over, they'd go, man, I notice your lights. They're like all perfectly straight. And I go, no gaps here. And so it's, a, it's always a joke with my wife and myself. But it was one of those things that it grew out of, uh, out of someone nagging about something and then someone responding in sin. And again, I share that with you because, you know, there's a, there's a good ending to that one, uh, but there's all kinds of lousy, terrible endings when we, don't, when we don't function the way that God calls us to function, you know, in our relationship with one another. When you think about, you know, the beauty as a husband here, you know, that's her duty is to be submissive. And then you think about the beauty of it. Look at there in verse verse 3 and 4 of 1 Peter 3. He says, don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Okay, they wore jewelry back then. They dyed their hair. They wore wigs back then, okay? The only thing is, it's just technology and time. That's all that's different. But Peter says, but rather, don't just focus on the outside, but also let it be the person, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And you, you think about this. I mean, you know, here Peter is recognizing there's something that's so special about women, and it's, it's in a word, it's called beauty. There's a beauty. There, there's a beauty that women bring to the table. I, I was sharing this in first service. You know, my wife loves to take things that are trash and turn them into treasure. You know, I was first service, there was Sylvia was there. We have a friend. Uh, some of you know her if you've been here long enough. Donna McClure and her husband, Bill, they, they used to, 
attend our church, they moved to uh, Santa Paula. Well, Donna owns a, an antique store and a boutique there. This woman majors in taking trash and turning it into treasure. Have you ever been in, how many been in a single man's apartment? Anybody ever been in a single man's apartment? You go, you walk in and it's either usually a pigsty or if it's clean, it's just the most bland place in the world. Women will walk in and they'll do what? They look at it and they we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And they start, and they do stuff and you go, what happens? There's a beauty that happens in it. You know, I, I, I've shared this with you and many of you would attest in your own homes because of your wife. Without my wife, my house is just a house. My wife makes our house a home. It's those little touches of beauty. They're her fingerprints that are all over the place. I mean, if it was up to me, like I said, it would just you go, give me a tent. That's fine. You know, I mean, but there's something so that women bring to the table that men never can, never will. We call it, you know, a woman's touch. And then Peter goes on in verse five and six. He says, for in this manner, he says, in former times, he says, holy women of, of God, uh, trusted in God, also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And you think about, you know, Abraham. Abraham is, is recognized within the three, you know, considered great religions of our day. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He, he's recognized as being great. And you go, why? Well, a lot of it leads to this right here. Because behind every good man is a great woman. And that's important for us men to understand and know. It, it kind of reminds me of that, that joke about the, the guy who was the, the mayor of the city and he and his wife were out on a Saturday morning, kind of went out for a cruise and they had a convertible. And they pull up one of those old gas stations where they fill your car up and check your hood, under your hood and do all that. And uh, they, they get gas and stuff and they leave. And as they pull away, the, the mayor says to his wife, he says, hey, honey, he says, uh, uh, isn't that your old high school flame back there that just filled up our car and washed our window and checked under the hood? And uh, she looked and she smiled at him and he said, I bet you're sure glad that you married me and not that guy. And she said, looked at him and she said, honey, she said, if I'd have married him, he'd be the mayor and you'd be working at the gas station, okay? <laughs> and and there, there's something, and really, uh, so if you've ever struggled or wondered what, what was Peter talking about with regard to Sarah and Abraham, that, that's exactly it, is that he's bringing this out, that, you know, Abraham was recognized and, and so was Sarah. And, and again, what a wonderful relationship, you know, that they were able to enjoy. Was Abraham perfect? No. Did he fail miserably? Yes. You go, but there's something about, you know, bringing a man and a woman together like that in marriage. And so you look at 1 Peter 3, 7. So it's really simple then. It says, husbands, likewise then. Likewise, the same way that your wife looked back to the cross and looked back to the model of Jesus. When you go, Pastor Mike, you don't understand my wife. You don't understand. You go, no, you don't understand Jesus. Okay. When he says likewise, because you too go back and you have a model. Your, your wife isn't the model. Jesus, you might've married a model. You go, but Jesus is the model. He says, and you have a responsibility. This, there's a command that's here. It says, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being joint heirs of the grace of God. And now what? A warning that your prayers may not be hindered. So how are we supposed to live? He says, according to knowledge. I mean, that's in, be intelligent in your leadership in your home. Because every husband is ultimately responsible for what takes place under the roof of his home. First Peter, or excuse me, First Corinthians eleven three, Paul writes this: the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So there's a hierarchy, there's a structure there, the framework of leadership, and it puts the responsibility in the home squarely on the head of the husband. Again, this isn't a suggestion. It's the responsibility to be the leader in the home. Now, I want you to understand something pr pretty simple here. When you think about how men and women were made by God anatomically, so there's no mistake in this. This, this was, for me, it's probably one of the, the life-changing experiences of my life. And it wasn't many years ago that I really began to understand this. But you think anatomically, men were designed by God. We, we are givers, just 
Think of it anatomically. Women are receivers. That's the way God intended it to be. When you go back to circumcision in the Old Testament, you go, why of all the things would God choose circumcision? You go, because it was a way of the, reminding them on a day-to-day-to-day basis. Because why? Because we forget. And God doesn't want us to forget. Men are called of God to be the leaders in our home, to be, if you wrote this word down, the initiator in your marriage relationship. Here's another example from my own marriage of failure, okay? My wife walks in from work one day. This was the game changer for me. She walks in from work. She walks right past me. She walks into our bedroom. She changes her clothes. She goes outside. She's watering a plant. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking out the window. It's like, she didn't say hi to me. She didn't acknowledge my presence. So I get up and I walk out there and I go, uh, were you going to say hi? And she goes, she looks at me like, like she was a shadow. Like she was mimicking me. She looks at me and she goes, were you going to say hi? And I go, I just said that. And she goes, I said, well, Lee, it was like this. I go, I was sitting on the sofa. You walked in, you walked right past me. You didn't even say hi. I, and she goes, right. I walked in, you didn't say anything to me. And I walked right past you. And I go, yeah, I go, but I was home. She looked at me the same way my dog looks at me. You know, my dog, you know, you're a dog and your dog goes, she looks at me. And when she looked at me that way, I was like, she, she doesn't get what I'm talking about. So she's not guilty. I go, she, she doesn't have a clue what I'm saying. I go, Lee, I was home. Like, like in my mind, if you're at home, the person who comes in is responsible for initiating the, hi, how are you? And in her mindset, the person who's in the home is responsible for initiating the, hi, welcome home, right? Anybody else ever have those kind of discussions with your, your spouse? So I realize in that moment, I go, wow. I go, well, how do you fix this? Because we're fighting over something that's stupid that neither of us really even is privy to. So it was like the Holy Spirit moment. It was like, boom. It was, Mike, you are the initiator in everything. It is your responsibility. You are the coach. You are the captain. You are the leader within this home. I hold you responsible, not your wife. And it was like, from that day forward, my wife hasn't had to initiate. Now, does that mean she can't? No, she can anytime she wants. But there's never, there's never that, that, you know, loss between two options at that point. I can tell you how many times have you been with your spouse and you, and you say to your wife, honey, what would you like for dinner? Which is, I don't know, you choose. Oh, I don't know, you, you know, I just love you so much. I want you to choose. It's not that you love her so much. You don't want to think. <laughs> you go, she goes, listen, honey, I just want you to make a decision. I don't want to make a decision. I've had to make decisions all day. I want you to make the decision. And she goes, if you love me, you'll make the decision. You think, you would think that would be the easiest thing in the world, right? I can't tell you how many counseling appointments I've had through the years over, you know, you decide, you decide. And you go, God's going, okay, you, that falls back on the man, you decide. And you know what? And it's so, it's so, it's so easy. It's, it, it, it's dumb. The people go, wow. They come in, they come in, you know, that's the, the, the wealth of knowledge I have. When you come in to see me, I go, well, why don't you just decide? Well, think about it. I go, if you just decided, would you be here today? No. I go, make a decision. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> it's like you go, okay. Yeah. No. But it's like this. So as, as taking the initiative. So understand this. And your wife will love this. It goes back to the Song of Solomon. In, in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 9, Solomon says, he says to, to the Shulamite, he says, I have compared you, my love, to my filly amongst Pharaoh's chariots. What's he saying? There's a thousand chariots lined up. And he's going, man, I picked the best one. And he goes, and you're it. And what you're telling your wife is you go, I've studied you. Now, of all the things that you could do as a man in here today is study your wife, study her. And when you study her, I'm going to, I'm going to give you something. It, you might write this down. This could help you tremendously in your marriage. It's called a cheat sheet. Anybody, anybody ever know what a cheat sheet, you know what a cheat sheet is? 
Yeah, it was so cool. We had guys getting married in the first service. He he goes, oh, cheat sheet is where you write the answers down to all the questions. <laughs> yes, perfect. And do that as a husband. You go, what do you mean? You go, well, you know your wife's likes, her dislikes, her taste, uh, her clothes sizes, uh, you know, everything. You know, I have it all written down and I keep it in my wall. And guess what? It changes. Okay, so that means we have to talk about it all the time. I mean, I, I just got my feelings hurt so much, you know, as, as a young husband, come home and bring my wife something that's pink, right? Because I'm thinking, women like pink, right? Not my woman. She hates pink, right? I went and bought her a root beer right after we got married. She looked at me and she's like, you trying to make me sick? I go, you don't like root beer? No, I hate root beer. Coconut root beer. These are questions that, see, now they're important. I go, there are people are dating. I go, hey, did your wife like root beer? They go, why is that? And I go, because you're never going to be able to take her to get a root beer float if she doesn't like root beer. What are you going to do? She doesn't like coconut either. You know, Hawaii's out. You know, you go, all of a sudden it's like, you go, oh, we learn these things. You go, no, study her, create a, a cheat sheet. I can go anywhere. And if there's something that's appealing, because I'll tell you this, it's the worst thing in the world. And I, <laughs> we've had these counseling appointments with people come in and they go, yeah, my husband, you know, he went and he, and he brought me this back from, you know, the trip and da, 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 da. And, and it was beautiful and she loved it, and go, but it didn't fit. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than to really like something that you can't use, right? And it's like, and then, and then he goes, well, I didn't know. Just, Why didn't you ask? I don't know. It's like, cheat sheet. Well, that's what you want to keep. And then think of this. Not just living with your wife with understanding, but giving honor to the wife. What is, what is giving honor? Go back to the fall. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay? God created marriage to be a partnership. Your, your wife, by God's design, is a helper. She wants to help you. She sometimes can't help herself. She wants to help you so bad. She wants to help you more than you want her to help you. Okay? And that's, and that's by God's design. And yet to honor her is to help her live. And, this, and one of the things, if you said to a woman, what do you want more than anything else in your marriage relationship? Overwhelmingly, women will say security. They want security. Is that as a husband, you'd go, I'm going to spend the rest of my, I told my wife, the day that I married her, I do, but she needs to hear it every day in some way, shape, or form, by my words, by my actions, by both, that I would do it all over again, that I would choose you. Because why? Because we, we, Peter starts it. That's why you and I love, we, we look at this, this whole book, and it starts with being what? The elect of God, chosen of God. That you're not a default in somebody's life, that you've been chosen. And that's one of the great blessings we have as a married couple is to say, I choose you. You know, and how important, you know, vows are, you know, to us. As to the weaker vessel I shared with you, it's not so much, you know, that she's physically weaker. It's just order. So if two people ride a horse, one's got to be in the back. That's all that it comes down to. It's just an order that God speaks of there as joint heirs together, the grace of God. And again, understanding she's a joint heir. There's, you don't have, as a man, you don't have the ability to say, well, hey, this is my life, that's your life. We share certain things. You go, no. It says in the garden, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed. There shouldn't be any area of your life that you're withholding from your wife. She was designed by God to be a helper. If you're keeping something from her, she can't help you in that area. And then you wonder why there's a struggle. There should be a transparency. There should be nothing to hide. And so Peter says, and when you live that way, there's going to be harmony. But if you don't, and he says, and, he, and we close with this. He says, I'm telling you, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a suggestion. This is a warning that if you don't live with your wife with knowledge in an understanding way, the understanding, you know, man, I mean, she can be as strong as the next person, but there is a, there, there's, there's a vulnerability that God has built into her. And if you don't, understand that and you don't seek to protect that and live with understanding and treat her like an equal as a joint heir of promise, he said, your, your prayer life's going to be hindered. Your, your prayer life is going to be hindered. And you think about, you know, in the life of a church and it's sad 
because there's so many men that would go, you know, and I, because and I, I talk with them and they go, I don't really pray that much, you know, because I really don't feel like, you know, God answers my prayers or that God even hears me. And, you know, a lot of times guys want to go, oh, no, he does, he does. No, maybe he's not hearing your prayers. Maybe he's not listening because Peter tells us there's a reason why he's not answering you and he's not listening to you because you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. You're not treating her as your equal. You're not loving her the way that God has called you to love her. And so understand this, I mean, God is your Abba, just like he's her Abba. Can you imagine, you know, she's going to her Abba and she says, Abba, you know, he's, he's being this way to me and he's being this way to me. And you go talk to Abba. <laughs> he's going, why, why are you treating my daughter like that? You go, would, you, would that relationship be hindered? And you go, yeah, any healthy relationship at that point. Until what? Until there was repentance. Until there was recognition of it. You know, it really is true. Happy wife, happy what? Life. Happy wife, happy life. The same way that your wife, the gauge of her relationship with God is her submission to you. The gauge of your relationship, man, and mine is me loving my wife. That says more about my relationship with God than anything else. And it's telling in all of our lives. May God help us as husbands who want to be recognized as the leader of our home to be worthy of that honor that a wife truly gives to her husband and blesses him with. Because, again, like I said, a, a woman who's being loved and being cared for and be provided for and being protected. Heck, she'd follow you to the ends of the earth. And that's the kind of husband that God's called us to be. And I fall short of that. But I'm going to aim high. And my hope and my prayer for all of us as men is we aim high. Amen? Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for just the privilege you give us to come together and to worship you and uh, Lord, to be challenged by your word. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man, the countenance of his friend. And my hope and prayer and just sharing your word today is that Lord, it sharpens us, that it doesn't dull us, that uh, Lord, you would use your word to refine us, that our, our lives, our marriages uh, in a state in California where one out of every two marriages ends in divorce, that God, you would bring healing. And that's what John's teaching on Wednesday night about revival, that, Lord, you'd bring revival to the land. You'd bring revival to the church. That you'd bring revival to our homes. And so, Lord, we're asking you to do what only you can do, and that's make us one. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage. We pray for marriages everywhere today, that, Lord, you'd bring healing to those homes that need it, that you'd bring tremendous encouragement to those that are doing well today. Because, Lord, if they're doing well, it's because, God, they're centered in you. And that's where we want our hearts to be, looking to you. Just as you would say to the wife, to the husband, likewise, because of the model and the example that we have in Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Be glorified in our lives this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.